Hello, my friends, and uh, welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 23 for this year, episode 23 of uh, The Informed Catholic. And we're going to do the readings for the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time. We're getting pretty close to um, Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. So... Um, Let's begin uh, first with the act of contrition. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints in you, my Brothers and sisters, to please pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, you take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father, Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. So, uh, right before we begin our reading, I've been looking to figure out what books I'm going to be using to um, for Lent. And one of the books that I actually um, narrowed down to one particular one is from Tan Books. I actually like this one. It's called uh, Manual for Conquering Deadly Sin. Uh, it deals with the seven deadly sins and it has, it's a very, it's a nice book. It has a, it's very flexible cover like leather, which has uh, a bookmark and it has a nice uh, emblem on the cover, like a shield with a cross on it and a sword behind it. Uh, it's um, embossed on it. I guess you can call that, use that word. And it has a lot in here. It has lust, it has gluttony, avarice, uh, sloth, anger, um, envy, it, basically all the pride. Uh, yeah, pride. And, uh, you know, when they say pride comes before the fall. And it has uh, all the stuff that I think it's important <clears throat> because... One of the biggest problems now, I think, we live with a lot of overabundance and especially with social media, social media like looking at Instagram or or um, Facebook <clears throat> and then there's TikTok. I, I'm not on TikTok. I don't care to be on TikTok. Uh, first, of all, I heard a lot of 
things about, especially since the communist Chinese control TikTok, uh, they take, I heard they take away your information and that's, that's not good because they may even be, be able to get, um, access to your bank account and you don't want that. And especially now with all the stuff about identity, uh, your, your social media identity being stolen, you don't want that. Um, there's a lot of a lot of temptations now. I mean, seriously, even if you're trying to avoid that and like you mainly mainly I, I, I like looking at icons and I like looking at a lot of artwork, like people's drawings and stuff like that. And and I do um, look for like especially social media stuff about politics and what's happening now and everything. Unfortunately, um, Instagram seems to somehow put in, s sneak in, slip in some images of, of attractive young women that they, uh, well, I, I would guess it's probably more the devil trying to do that, but you know, you've got to try to be careful with these things because when you have a prayer life and you're going into your prayer life more and more, sadly, um, concupiscence is always dominant, especially from what this book says, and I like it. And then there's another book I just got my hands on, is, this is on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola, and it's supposed to be a more simplified form, which I like. There's also um, The Way of the Cross. The problem is, how do you fit everything in, especially when you got to go to work, Right? <laughs> I'm already reading the Bible through the year, and I'm already, uh, I think, with, I think the one with the, the manual on deadly sins is probably going to be enough. Um, and I'll try to, uh, you know, of course, with praying the rosary, reading the daily Bible, for the, through the year, which I'm, I'm committed in doing. And then, um, with the other book, I think you got to keep it simple. If you want to be successful, you can't overwhelm yourself with too much. Um, you got to remember you have only a certain amount of time during the day. And even if I did have all the time through the day, um, I don't, I think you, you don't want to overwhelm yourself still. You could, you know, overdo it. Obviously anybody can overdo it. <clears throat> I think you have to focus, you have to keep it simple in order to focus on those, those particular sins. There's also a prayer, which I believe the Holy Spirit gave me. It's not something original. It's based on the Stations of the Cross. And I've been saying it to myself as at work, quietly. I've been saying it as I commute. I've been saying it to myself repeatedly as I commute home, commute to work throughout the day, commuting home. It goes like this. My Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God the Father, I adore you and praise you, for by your holy cross you have redeemed the world.
it's this prayer is, you know, kind of like the Jesus prayer, but it has everything in it you need. The first part, my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, you're declaring Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And then the second part, only begotten Son of God the Father. It's pretty much like what we say in the Creed and what is in in the Gospel of John or what the Scriptures say, whoever declares Jesus Christ to be Lord and declares Him the only begotten Son of God of the Father. You hear that in the at the Jordan River, you hear that at the <clears throat> at the uh, Transfiguration, and then you declare like what Saint Paul says in Ephesians, and we we get in other parts of the of the epistles of the apostles. Um, the you know by your holy cross you have redeemed the world, and it's. You know, like I said, it's not original. It's obviously a combination from the Stations of the Cross. But for some reason, these other parts I decided to to weave in. Or the Holy Spirit, I would say the Holy Spirit did it. Weaved it in. It's very important. You have to repeat something to yourself so that you won't get distracted. Our thoughts wander into dangerous territories. And when we wander into those daring changes territories, once our thoughts wander into them, it's like getting caught in a spider's web. And the imagination is very powerful, especially nowadays, more powerful than ever before. It gets caught into the into the trap of social media, Instagram, <clears throat> um, whatever you see on on Facebook. There, it's always going to grab you, grab hold of you, and then it's going to suck you in like a quicksand, trapped in a you know in the thoughts of sin, which later on go into constant obsessiveness about it because that's what sin does, and then you go into the territory of of uh, committing a sin, and then you are in a mortal state of sin. You lo- you lose grace. It's hard enough trying to make your way to to confession, especially with the way the hours now and everything and you and also the commuting. You, we need to constantly be in a state of prayer so that we can have the graces to overcome these temptations and sins. We need we need these graces. All right. Um let's go to the reading. Okay, first reading is from First Samuel, chapter 26, verses 7 to 9, 12 to 13, 22 to 23. <clears throat> Though the Lord delivered you into my grasp, I would not harm you. A reading from the first book of Samuel. In those days, Saul went down into the desert of Zeph with 3,000 picked men of Israel to search for David, in the desert of Zeph. So David and Abishai went among Saul's soldiers by night and found Saul lying asleep within the barricades with his spear thrust into the ground at his head and Abner and his men sleeping around him. Abishai whispered to David, God has delivered your enemy into your grasps this day. Let me 
nail him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I will not need a second thrust. But David said to Abishai, Do not harm him, for who can lay hands on the Lord's anointed and remain unpunished? So David took the spear and the water jug from their place at Saul's head, and they got away without anyone's seeing or knowing or awakening. All remained asleep because the Lord had put them into a deep slumber. Going across to an opposite slope, David stood on a remote hilltop at a great distance from Abner's son, uh, Abner, son of Nir, and the troops. He said, Here is the king's spear. Let an attendant come over to get it. The Lord will reward each man for his justice and faithfulness. Today, though the Lord delivered you into my grasp, I will not harm the Lord's anointed. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's talk about this particular incident. This is obviously early in David's career uh, when he was constantly pursued by King Saul. King Saul was, was the first king of Israel. And a tragedy. He was a tragedy in many ways. He was promising. He was uh, anointed by Samuel. And he was supposedly handsome. He was tall, above average height of, of men in his day. And he, he pretty much did his job in the beginning. He kept the people safe. I mean, the way Saul came into, um, into power, his origin, how the story go goes, <clears throat> the people were constantly, constantly being plagued. By their enemies. The Israelites were surrounded by the Philistines. They were surrounded by many other nations around them. And they were constantly being plagued. And this was during the last days of the judges. The judges were sort of like marshals. Like Samson. They went around and they they helped. They routed. They, 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 they encouraged the people. They put morale into the people. And they helped uh, fight off the enemies. That's what Sam, Samson did. Well, the Israelites were overwhelmed and they were not organized. They were, remember, they were separate tribes. And some, some of them were not even faithful to their, to, their, to their faith, to God. In the case with Saul, King Saul, it got pretty uh, interesting. The people went to Samuel and they demanded that Samuel give them a king. Samuel was against it. Samuel told them, God is your king. And they said, we want a king like other nations. Give us a king or we will go out and find our own king. Now, I want you to think about that scene right there. Remember what happened in the balcony with Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas. The people, Pilate, would introduce Jesus as their king. And they refused. They rejected Jesus. And he would insist, is he not your king? And they said, no. Give, we have no king but Caesar. You see? 
When Samuel went to God, God said, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me as their king. So he, God warned them he would give them a king, but they would regret it. He will take their daughters from them. He would take their sons from them and make their sons march in front of him and carry his shields and, and, and his weapons. He would, he would, basically he would invoke his power upon them and they would regret it. And they just did the same thing in, in what they did in the book of Samuel by rejecting God as their king was a foreshadowing of what they would do when Christ does come. Remember when they got out of uh, Egypt, they, they were okay going back to Pharaoh's abuse, molestations, uh, oppression, tyranny. Well, Pharaoh may have done all those things to us, but hey, at least he's fed us on the end of the day. It's basically going back to an abusive relationship. Now, people are comfortable with tyrants. They chose in the day of Jesus on, on the balcony with Pilate. They chose Barabbas, whose first name, according to some ma to manuscripts on the margin, his first name was also Jesus. They chose Jesus the revolutionary. They chose Jesus the violent terrorist. They chose Caesar. And they chose tyranny. They chose abuse of power. Human beings were okay with that. It's something we understand. Because when our hearts are far away from God, we will turn to tyranny. We will turn to abuse. We will turn to it because it's something we understand. Look what's happening today. Look what happened for the last two to three years. The tearing down of statues, the overthrowing of the government, the people wanting this. And you see this over and over and over again in human nature because human nature is sinful. Right? Look at the fact what's happening in Canada with Justin Trudeau. Uh, I just heard a story about a woman who got outed. She ran a gelato shop somewhere, I think in Ottawa maybe, and she donated a couple of hundred bucks a couple of hundred bucks, just a measly couple of hundred bucks. And because she did it through some kind of GoFundMe thing, some reporter ousted, put all, not just her name, but all the other people's names because they chose a political side. People love tyranny. The poor woman's shop was a gelato shop, an Italian ice cream shop. They threw bricks through the window. She had to back down and apologize. They bullied her into silence. This is the way human beings are. We, we love abusive power. People who can't control their own lives. This is why with the whole thing with the masks, with the vaccine. If you want that, that's fine for you. But a lot of other people don't want it. And I think they have a right not to want it the same way someone has a right if they want to choose it. But this, the fact that we, even our own bishops, have failed us in this. We, if we don't have God in our lives, we're going to make something into God. And we're, and we're, we're in a time in our lives where we're, we're saying the government, the state, 
is a is God. That's what we've come down to. Power, abusive power is God. This is why the Israelites, when they wanted, when they built the golden calf, the golden calf represented the people, the land. And then when they brought, when they, they wanted to build the golden calf because they wanted to go back to tyranny. They wanted to go back to abuse. Jordan Peterson pointed that out in Joe, Joe, Josh, Joe Rogan's podcast when he talked about the stations of the cross and he talked about what it meant, everything. It's because we want this. We're willing. That's why if you notice how everybody kept quiet during a shutdown, kept quiet during the so-called uh, cancel culture, even though they didn't really agree with it, but they were complacent. They kept quiet because they were afraid. They were afraid to lose their job. They were afraid to, to lose everything. We're, we are we are a culture that f- we submit easily. Some of us just don't have the strength, the willpower to stand up. Some of us just don't think we can handle it, which is some people can't. But if you don't have a good, healthy prayer life, if you don't have a good, healthy relationship with God, you will submit. You will bend the knee to an earthly ruler than a heavenly ruler. And don't think it's going to stop with you just bending the knee. No, it won't stop there. No, it will not. And this is something we have to be, we have to be warned about. David could have killed Saul. He had that opportunity that night. It was a test for him. His own, one of his own um, colleagues said, we can just thrust him in the ground. Put, I can put my spear right through his head. It'll be over. I don't even need a second one. But David refused. <clears throat> he refused. He wanted to play by the rules. He had to play by God's rules. If he killed Saul, What's what's not to stop someone else from doing it to him? And not only that, all of Israel will know that he killed a king. Everyone will know he did it. And they'll never let him forget about it for the rest of his life. What does that mean? He'll have to become a tyrant. He'll have to look over his shoulder forever. But if he he plays it right, he will take the crown without regret or guilt or blood on his hands. And the people will not have, no, his opponents will not have anything on him. He had to trust God. It's difficult, but we have to trust him that he will get us through these things. He will get us through these problems. You know, there was a colleague at work who passed away. I I say a rosary for him. I try to remember him in my prayers whenever I can. Poor guy suffered from manic manic depression. I mean, he was depressed like you wouldn't believe it. Every day in the cafeteria, he had his head down in his arms on the table. He walked depressed. He eventually died from cancer, sadly. But even before the diagnosis, he was so filled with melancholy and depression. I mean, literally, you could almost see the the dark cloud following him. And he was supposed to be a comedian. 
He was supposed to be a comedian. I remember a story someone said where his mom visited in his apartment. He had no furniture, just maybe a stool. I mean, I don't know what his poor mom went through trying to reach out to him, but it was almost it was impossible to reach out to him. He didn't believe in anything. He adopted sort of like a nihilistic view about life. And it's sad. But that in itself shows he was completely without hope. Now, I know some of it could be mental illness. Some of it could maybe chemical or whatever. But you can't live without hope. I'd rather die with hope than die without hope. You know, you, you, you have to have hope. Even if it looks like you're not going to win, you have to have hope. You have to have faith. To say there's no hope to anything is terrible. David kept hope. He hoped and he he wanted, he also tried to reach out to Saul because he knows that Saul was anointed by, by God's prophet. And David himself was anointed by pretty much the same prophet. It was the same, it was the same prophet, Samuel. So if you don't have hope, you have to realize it was all God's action. If he chose to kill him, I mean, Saul suffered from depression also he suffered he was plagued by demons he he could not sleep david was originally there to play a harp and and and, and recite some psalms that calmed his the, the demons in him the fear and the anxiety in him but you need you need you need to have hope you have to have hope you, you, you know you can't say, oh, it's hopeless, we can't do anything. You know, despair is a sin and it could lead to greater sins. It could lead to greater sins. It could lead to, it just leads to self-destruction. All right, let's, let's go on from there. Okay, Psalm 103. Okay, let's see how far, okay. Psalm 103 the Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my and all my being. Bless His holy name. Bless the bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your ills. He redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with kindness and compassion. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. Not according to our sins does he deal with us nor does he requite us according to our crimes. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he put our transgressions from us. 
As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. Second reading, a reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 15, 49, sorry, 45 to 49. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 45 to 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earth, earthly one, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly one. It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being like the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. But the spiritual was not first, rather the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, earthly, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly one, so also are the earthly. And as the heavenly one, so also are the heavenly. Just as we have Born the image of the earthly one, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly one. Okay, one more time. A reading from the first letter of uh, St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 15, 45 to 49. It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam, he's talking about is obviously the first Adam. He was a living being. But Jesus is the second Adam who replaces the first, and he is a spiritual, life-giving being from heaven. But the spiritual was not first, rather the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, earthly, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly one, so also the earthly. And as is the heavenly one, so are also the heavenly. Just as we have been born, we have, we have born the image of the earthly one, we shall also bear the image of the, of the heavenly one. So, in a sense, because Adam fell, and all of us, are, we inherited that disease. We inherited that rebellion. We inherited that. In, in one sense, we all chose it in a very cosmic, mystical way. When we choose sin, when we choose to steal, when we choose to lie, when we choose to, to, uh, to hurt um, people, when we choose, we choose to take what's not ours, uh, we oppress a person, it is sin. And then when we obsess and we go after things that we shouldn't go after, we, well, especially um, when it deals with a, in a very obsessive, sexual, lustful way, we are going to, we're going to oppress somebody. We're going to persecute somebody. I mean, I've heard people, uh, even in my job, about people who gone after like solicited went to get sex or or flirted but it's it's all uh about power it's about getting what you want but also not admitting that you're not happy not admitting that that you're miserable you're not happy 
when we're miserable, we're going to look for things that are going to be distraction. And we're going to also, if it happens to be with another person, we're going to bring that person down. We want that person to submit to our, to us, to make, to, to, to take away that unhappiness in our lives. It's dangerous. Obsessiveness about power. Sex is all about power, especially when it deals in our, in, in our society. It's all about power and power makes you stronger. And when you make him make people do what you want them to do, you don't, you feel, you know, you feel, I mean, seriously, you want power. That's all you want. You want them to, to fear you. You want them to submit to you. It's bad. It's bad indeed. It's terrible. All right. And, you know, here, Paul is making it quite clear. You know, we need to become, to bear the image of, this, of, the, of the new Adam, Jesus Christ. To bear his image in us. And also, I think because one of the beautiful things about Catholicism, it, it, it may, like, like Jordan Peterson said, it puts your fears in front of you. It makes you confront your fears in many ways, just like better than a therapist because you don't have to pay him money through your insurance, but Jesus is God. And this is what, you know, God wants us to become more holy. He wants us to, to, to get closer to him. And that's what, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to be aware of our sins. All right, let's move on from there. All right, Luke, uh, reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 6, verse 27 to 38. Alleluia, alleluia, I give you a new commandment, says the Lord. Love one another as I have loved you. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Jesus said to his disciples, To you who hear, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who, who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you in one cheek, Offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Give to any everyone who asks of you. And from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But rather, love your enemies and do good to them and lend, and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Stop judging, and you will not be judged. Stop condemning, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, give and gifts will be given to you. 
good measure packed together, shaken down and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you measure will in return be measured out to you. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the most mocked and laughed at of all Christian uh, practices? Love and forgive your enemies. I know from the perspective of Islam, they find that extremely funny and hilarious and very weak. I know. My father thought so. Because there is no such thing in Islam. They don't forgive their their enemies unless their enemy submits and gives in to to um, <clears throat> Islam. That's it's a fact. It is one of the most hardest and mo- one of the most difficult part of the Christian faith. Even atheists and uh, hostile critics of the Christian faith, they find that difficult. They find it hilarious. Love and forgive your enemies. Do good to those who, who do wrong to you, who harm you, who injure you. And I'm going to tell you this. This is also what makes the Christian faith true. Yes, it makes it true. Only a true faith that comes directly from heaven, that comes directly from the Son of God, could ask such a difficult and a ridiculous uh, request, a difficult task, of its followers <clears throat> to forgive and love your enemies impossible but that's what makes it true no one wants to forgive anybody for injury for harm no one wants to forgive their opponent when they've done when they've done a monstrous thing to you Rape, um, killing of a loved one, destruction of your life. I mean, Hitler killed six million Jews and on top of that, millions of other people, right? Who wants to forgive someone like that? Joseph Stalin killed far more than, than Adolf Hitler. He ruled long and no one ever stopped him. And who knows how many other things he's done to people. Uh, A serial rapist, a a serial uh, monstrous killer who killed women, right? For enjoyment, for pleasure, a predator. No. Who wants to forgive someone like that? This is something that is impossible for human beings. But yet Jesus tells us 
nothing is impossible for God. What does loving and forgiving your enemies do for you? What possibly can it do for us as Christians? It brings us close to God. It brings us close to Christ. It unites us with him. We imitate him. And yet, it is an impossible task. But yet, this impossible, impossible task makes us into saints. The road to heaven is straight and narrow, and very few make it. And the road to hell is wide open, and many go through it. Hatred pulls us away from God, and yet in our own eyes, we think we confuse it with justice. We, we think it's the great equalizer. We think we, we think we are equalizers. We think we are making the world a better place. And yet it doesn't because, it, because this, is, this is the road that leads to tyranny. It, it leads away from, from, from our Lord. It, it, we lose the image of our Lord in our souls. The road of Christ is to pick up our cross and follow him. He demands that we make ourselves into saints. We are called to be saints. We are called to be holy. We are called to be Jesus. And we have to crucify ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. We have to deny our ego. We have to deny our pride, our vanity, our lust. It's, it's a difficult task, an impossible one. An impossible task, but it's, but it's, it's still, we have to do it. Charity we, we confuse charity with such as uh, a, a, a social act. But, it's, but the word charity in its proper English um, classical form means divine love, godly love. You know, it's, it's been reduced and uh, stripped of its, of its classical meaning. It's one of those greatest tragedies of, of modern English language, but it, that's what it means. Because if you read the old King James or the classical King James, uh, I think first Corinthians chapter 13, I could be wrong. I think it's first Corinthians. It could be second Corinthians, but it doesn't matter. If I do not have love, that's the modern term. The classical term is, if I do not have charity, and charity, yes, means love, but it means divine love, godly love. And Paul is saying that we have to have love. And Jesus says to love 
one another, to love your enemies. And he's not asking us to be weaklings. He's not asking us to be pushovers. He's not asking us to be, um, to make a mockery of ourselves, to make ourselves pathetic. No, what he's asking us is to imitate his dignity, to imitate his nobility, to imitate his noble divine actions. He's asking us to climb Mount Calvary with him, to, to walk the straight and narrow path, to pick up our cross and to do a heroic thing, to become him. How do we do it? We, we do it by simply realizing that our aim, our goal, our ambition is to be, is to be united with him. It should be an, an ambition, a hunger to strive after him. He says on the Sermon on the Mountain, let your light shine so that men can see your works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He also said, I am the light of the world himself. So, like Scott Hahn said once, which is it, Lord? Are you the light of the world or are we the light of the Lord? The, white, the, the light of the world. And the answer is, we're both, because we are what he is. We are not the light of the world apart from him. We're not holy apart from him. We are not righteous apart from him. Our good works are not apart from him. Our actions, our deeds as Christians are not apart from him. Everything we do is comes from him and through him and with him. As it says in the Mass, the, you know, we cannot do anything without Him. He said that Himself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we cannot crucify ourselves. We cannot surrender ourselves and be crucified apart from Him. If we're going to die to ourselves, it has to be in Him. It's difficult. Yes. It is. Is it impossible without him? Yes. But is it possible in him? Yes. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. It is not going to be easy. The saints all said, we have to do violence to ourselves, meaning we have to be hard. We have to be hard, not destroy ourselves, but destroy our ego, destroy our pride, our vanity, our gluttony, our self-love, our selfishness, our greed. We have to do it to ourselves. We have to ask him for the strength 
and 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 uh, the ambition. I think why can't we be ambitious about wanting to be holy? Not self-righteous. Self-righteousness will not help at all. It will not help at all. It can't. It, you will, we will never get there by being self-righteous. We can't be like the Pharisee. We can't, you know, boast about our holiness. Can't. It's impossible. Because anything self-righteous comes from the devil. The devil would love it. Would love it if we can be self-righteous and pompous about our, our Christian faith about our good works, about our holiness. <clears throat> it's impossible. We can't. You'll never, we'll never get there and we'll never succeed. But I, I believe if it's hard and it's difficult, then it should be. If it's not hard and difficult, then it's then it, then then we're not being holy. Then we're not doing it. It's impossible. I've started to say a prayer that I truly believe the Holy Spirit helped me to find it. My Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God the Father, I adore you and love you, for by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. It's a combination of, I, I know, I, I used to talk, you know, I haven't finished the Jesus prayer. I'm going to try to do it, um, try to finish it. It's, it's inspired by the Jesus prayer. And... If the Jesus prayer is beautiful, but I think we have to have our own personal prayers. And, you know, I don't think it has to be completely original, but it has to be something that I think it's, I think it's important because it has everything in it, I think, that is of, is, is of the faith, is of the gospel. We, you declare Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You call him my Lord and Savior. And you declare him to be the only begotten son. That's what we say at Mass during the Gloria. And then you say, I adore you and I love you. You know, you know, I adore you and I praise you. Yes, only through the power of the Holy Spirit does anyone declare Jesus Christ to be Lord. And then you... You acknowledge the cross, for by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. I say it to myself as I'm leaving the house, walking to the train station. I say it to myself um, quietly on the train. You know, if I'm not praying the rosary, uh, I say it to myself when I see something, when something, when temptation you know, starts playing with my mind. I start playing with temptation. Uh, I say it to myself throughout the day, you know, at work, whenever I get to chance. I mean, right now it's easy because we got the mask on, but you have to say it. You have to 
say a prayer because it's impossible to go throughout the day without reciting a prayer, without being close to him. It's impossible to do it on our own. And every moment, you know, we are in such a dark place now with all the division going on within the church, with all the confusion going on within the church, and it's such a horrible horrible thing. We have to realize something. We have to separate the faith from the the institution of the faith. We have to realize that being a Christian is not dependent on on others who fail. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we, we always hear these negativities about the Christian faith and with all the, oh my goodness, with all the, the scandals going on and, and, and the failures and the lack of love and the lack of faith going on, People would say, how can you be part of this institution with all with all this mess? Yeah, you know what? When we have human beings, how can there not be scandal? You know, after a while, when you see all so much, I mean, seriously, how can there be a family without scandal? How could there be a country and a government without scandal? And yet we, we, we hear all this nonsense, an attack against it. You know what it is? It's because there's a lack of holiness. You got a lot of cardinals, you got a lot of bishops, you got a lot of uh, priests, uh, you got a lot of lay people. Their, their view about the faith and how they handle and how they practice their faith is not a reflection of the loss of faith. Everyone is responsible. Every single one of us is responsible. And how we love Christ. And how we follow him. Okay. And also. To love our enemies. Even after they've done horrible things to us. Is not weakness it's getting our goal to love our enemies our goal to good to, to to bless those who curse us to bless those who harm us is not about them it's about him it's all about jesus our goal is him your goal is christ okay your goal is him what the pope does or what the pope fails to do is not our business what the cardinal does and what the cardinal fails to do, what the bishop does and what the bishop fails to do, what the priest does and what the priest fails to do, is not, is, is nothing to do with us. We could only pray for them, and, we, and, our, and when we pray for them, your, your prayer, is, your main goal is Jesus. Our main, our main goal is Christ. That's what, that's what we have to remember. 
okay? Praying for them when he tells us to love our enemies because you, we, that person is made in the image and likeness of God. And even Hitler, as evil as he was, was made in the image and likeness of God. Jeffrey Dahmer or Jack the Ripper, they're all made in the image and likeness of God. Okay? The devil wants us to be so horrified, scandalized by the thought, by the horrific thought of of praying for such people, of, 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 of loving such people for the mercy, for the love of Christ. That, he wants us to think, is absolutely ridiculous and horrifying and pathetic. He wants us to be, to, you know, to, to be horrified by it and, and to be scandalized. But we have to. We have to. I mean... It's it's impossible, but that's what makes it true. I mean, look at look look at how some of these people are willing to stand with these politicians after a scandal has been exposed. Right? Bill Clinton has been accused of rape. And has been accused of sexual misconduct. Yet people, thousands of people, maybe you could say millions of people, still go to hear him talk. And they'll they'll pay for the tickets to hear him talk. Hillary Clinton has been accused of a political misconduct, criminal acts. And yet millions of people are still going to are still going to stand by her. There are people who will still stand by Joe Biden even if he politically fails because their political ideology is far more important to them than his failures. And yet, they'll still wear a Joe Biden hat or a Democratic hat. You don't call that religious zeal? Political zeal? Yet, compare that to King David. What he was tempted to do. He had King Saul asleep on the floor, on the ground with a spear next to his head. And he had the opportunity to kill the man. And he didn't. Not because he loved King Saul, but because King Saul was chosen by God. And David knew that he was being put to the test. David decided to remain true to God. Probably the man that was with him, I can't remember his name now, but he was probably shocked. He could have ended that. All the problems he had could have been ended. Yet they were all in a deep slumber sleep by God. David was put to the test. And he decided not. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. He's not going to kill the man. Of course, unfortunately, later on, he did have a man killed. All for the sake of adultery. 
wouldn't do it for wouldn't do it uh, at the time for for heroic political reasons, but he he failed the sex test, the temptation test, right? For 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 uh, for another man's wife and to cover up his sin, he failed. It, may, it goes to show you, goes to show you that hey, you know how how dangerous sex sexual temptations can be. Yet, Paul says here in Corinthians chapter first Corinthians chapter fifteen, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life giving spirit, but the spiritual was not first, rather than the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, earthly, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly one, so also are they uh, are the earthly. Meaning, when you think, when you have these thoughts, these political uh, ambitions, these political temptations, when you have materialistic temptations, they are all earthly. And so therefore you're thinking like an earthly man, like an earthly person. You know, sexual appetites, materialistic appetites, political ambitions, material ambitions like wealth, power, all these things. If you th keep thinking in that manner, then you are not of Christ. Paul is saying here, if you're going to follow Christ, you have to think like Christ. You have to think ab above the earthly. Not easy, but this is what he wants from us. David, in the beginning, the early part of his life, he, his, his goal was God. And so, as it, as it should be for us, Jesus wants us to look at him as the goal, as the finishing line, as the prize. And that's what we need to do. It's not going to be easy. You know, loving your enemies means aiming for Christ. Forgiving your enemies means aiming for Christ. Um, being, being kind to those who need, even for those who may be your enemies, who could be stealing from you. Um, you know, you gotta, you know, it takes a lot of practice. He's not saying being a pushover, but he is telling us, remember, he said this, be gentle as doves, but sly as serpents. That's, he, that's how he's asking us to think. Approach these difficulties. We have to, we have to pray about them. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Okay, I'm going to end it here and uh, we'll go to the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. And for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, 
in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.